Salam Ajamion Aziz. Welcome to the next Ajam Media Collective podcast. I'm your host, Kamyar. And I'm your other host, Rustin. And we're joined here today by a wonderful guest. Uh, hello, Stefan. Hello. How are you? We're good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I realized that in all the prep before we hit record, we should have actually asked your bio so that we can repeat it and show that we're gracious and happy that we're having <laughs> you. But instead, we didn't do that. So um, if you want to... Introduce- How about this? Can I, can I give a stab at it? Okay, give then, a stab uh, and then he'll fill in the, 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 the holes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so Stefan William Safa is a... Um, he is a... Uh, I think you just grad- you just finished your PhD, right? Yeah, in uh, well, anthropology. Yeah, great. So, congrats on that. Um, Thank you. And uh, hopefully, um, good luck with the postdocs and on, on being on the job market. Yeah, <laughs> we all need that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, you are one of the co-founders of Mountains of Tongues, which is a uh, music project. Um, based in the Caucasus about local recordings and uh, various songs that are being uh, collected from from the region. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, that's that's yeah. my life summed up in five seconds. <laughs> Do you, I don't feel like I did you justice, though. Can you? Uh, no, that's. No, that's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah, okay. let's also okay. not oversell our guests, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we don't have Nicolas Cage here or whoever you know <laughs> really want to get on this show. Um, well, yeah. but yeah, I figured we could start off just learning about this Mountains of Tongues project, which has a long history and uh, some name changes, right? If I remember yeah, correctly, yeah. Yes, you just want to introduce yeah. us maybe to, to the history of the whole thing. So uh, the project started around 2012, um, autumn 2012, um, and it was just after I'd moved to Tbilisi, uh, Georgia. Uh, I, I found a job there, but I was also interested in in working on music, uh, working with musicians there. And soon after I'd moved there, I met... Um, a friend of mine who became the co-founder of the project, Ben Wheeler, who's a American musician who is living in the Caucasus and studying Georgian music at the conservatory there. And uh, basically we were kind of fascinated by the linguistic, ethnic diversity, the history of the region. And we realized that there wasn't even though you know there's all these people, all these different things going on, it was very hard to find uh, music by all these people you know if you go to a, a world music section of any music store at most you'll find like a, a cd of georgian polyphonic music or armenian duduk or azerbaijani like the, basiani poly, the basiani polyphonic symphony is one <laughs> yeah, that always yeah. pops up on spotify for example exactly yeah so you have these kind of national music traditions which are uh, sold and promoted all over the globe but then it's harder to find the all the other stuff that's going on, and even in the in the countries themselves, um, in a place like Georgia, which has uh, many different um, ethnic linguistic groups, uh, religious uh, groups living there, it's still very hard to to come across this music. Uh, 
So we decided that we wanted to explore this and we started speaking to friends at the conservatory, to different musicians, and we decided that we wanted to create a project to kind of provide a platform for promoting this uh, musical diversity. And that's how we started. And we first we, we called the project Syed Nova Project, which um, we thought was a great name. Uh, I think it. it. I think it still is a great name. So if someone yeah, else wants yeah. to use that for their project, now it's free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For our listeners, uh, who's Syed Nova? Just in case our listeners are not familiar with him. So Syed Nova was a, a bard. Uh, I have to check the dates because I've, I don't want to say the wrong century right now. But he was a, a bard born in Tbilisi to Arme- Armenian parents and wrote poetry in uh, Armenian, Azerbaijani, Georgian, Persian. Um, and uh, yeah, so in a way he, he kind of represented, at least uh, we thought, and some of our good friends and colleagues in the region thought uh, was a real um, kind of embodiment of, of what we were interested in and what we think uh, characterizes the uh, yeah. All I will add is 18th century plus read the Syed, read the exactly. Syed Nova article on Ajab. Exactly. I wrote it. Kamya wrote a brilliant <laughs> article and yeah, that's, our, that's our resource now. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, uh, it's a, a name which now is kind of entangled in all these, uh, in, on all the regional conflict. And um, so we had lots of lots of uh false accusations from from different sides um claiming that we were agents for Azerbaijan or for Armenia or for Russia and um so this name unfortunately doesn't really seem to uh have this kind of um inter communal Kind of sim- on, on the sim- plus side, maybe if you stuck yeah. with it, you could end up being an agent and then actually get paid a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Being, a, being a PhD does not pay. So maybe if one of these countries picked you up for their um, clandestine yeah. operations, it'd be a little bit better. So any any uh, Caucasian states out there listening to this podcast? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. breakaway for projects, jobs, so. right? Anyone who's sort go. of trying to establish their own state. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, the, the grant world isn't what it used to be, so this is what we're resorting to. <laughs> but Stefan, um, so I, I, I love the term mountains of tongues, and I think it gets across um, kind of this this diversity of um, languages and and traditions that you're that you're you spoke about with um, with the Sayanova term as well. So, um, how did how, uh, can you just give us a little bit of information about? the type of uh, work that you were doing in terms of uh, going out and doing, doing field recordings and finding, finding music. Yeah. So the first, the first kind of stage of the project was really um, trying to uh, record as much music as, as we could around uh, mostly the South Caucasus. So Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, we spent about a year traveling around going to, to villages and uh, kind of remote areas where where minority um, communities live and meeting musicians, interviewing them, spending time with them. 
um, and recording stuff, mostly around uh, the different languages, endangered languages. Um, and then later, after that, we we released a, a record of some of that material, and um, it's been kind of a long process, but we've, we've been working on a website which just came out last year, so it took us a while to to make it, but we've uh, we've been trying to find ways of of kind of distributing these these recordings, uh, getting these musicians heard in different contexts, both in the region and outside. Um, yeah, so the first stage of it was really trying to to document and share as much as we can and get these musicians heard um, by different audiences. I will say, as as a fan, as a seriously huge fan of the project, <laughs> so I guess uh, maybe I'm not the best person to be interviewing, one of my favorite <laughs> things that I want you to talk about is that, you know, this is not a normal sort of um, ethnomusicology project in the sense that you're looking for people just playing their traditional instruments, you know, whatever folk song with the story you can find. Some of these people are... Um, I don't know how to put this in, in a proper way to not put people in categories, but they're playing things, I guess, that you wouldn't expect from a more yeah. orthodox perspective to be of of cultural value. I mean, there's people playing synthesizers and guitars. Yeah. Can you just speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so that was really, you know, one thing that we we didn't want, well, we had in our mind that we we didn't want to kind of be a project focusing on traditional music. Um, or folk music or anything like that. We just really wanted to record anything we came across and anything that the musicians wanted to share with us. And, you know, the more you you speak to musicians, um, especially in, in, part, in places like Georgia, you know, um, in the rural settings, you realise that these musicians are playing all sorts of stuff. They're, okay, they can play, they can sing polyphonic, uh, chants, you know, church chants, or they can play uh, instruments which have been around for many centuries, but they're also doing all sorts of different stuff. And we have loads of examples of, of musicians like this who maybe on the weekends they're playing uh, synthesizers at wedding, uh, all-night wedding ceremonies, but then uh, during the week they sit around singing uh, lullabies or or something completely different you know so we wanted to challenge that kind of divide between tradition and the contemporary um which is very much promoted by world music industry by ethnomusicologists by kind of uh national representations of of music so we really wanted to kind of explore everything and then see what came up and what we could do with it do we have I mean, this is a really yeah 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 go ahead Russ. yeah i'm just thinking about um you know the context of music folk indigeneity in in a place like the caucasus right where like mm. musical traditions kind of can make this claim to originality in a place where you see so many uh currents and movements and people that are trying to delegitimize other people's experiences yeah um yeah. And I'm thinking about, like, I mean, I, for example, in my class um, that I taught over the summer, we, we talked a lot about komitas, right? So the yeah. Armenian um, uh, cleric, or I guess priest, who also, like, collected a lot of folk music. And I just wanted yeah. to have you talk about 
Um, and this was around like 1900s, right? So yeah. um, I want you to talk a little bit about this idea of the problem of this division between the folk and um, purity of the folk and maybe like what Mountains of Tongues is trying to do in terms of um, putting it in place of, uh, in the larger context of the Caucasus. Like, do you see um, various languages being spoken? Do you see... Um, different types of shared songs or shared musics or shared instruments? Like, what are some of the things that you see that might challenge this idea of, uh, of a pure folk music that belongs to a particular nation? Yeah, so, I, yeah, as, long, as well as this kind of um, blurred lines between contemporary, traditional, um, obviously another thing we are really interested in are these kind of... Uh, polyglot, poly-musical uh, um, musicians that we encountered. And I think these, you know, often I think the best way to really explain this is, is by using examples of, action, of, of people we met and spent time with. And, and one such musician was um, a great guy called... Uh, um, um, I've gone, <laughs> I've gone blank right now. Oh, is it my, uh, Sergo, Sergo Kamalov? Sorry. <laughs> no worries. So one, yeah, maybe you can edit this, but um, yes. So we we met a, a Kamancha player called Sergo Kamalov, who was he was Armenian from Tbilisi and had lived in the city his whole life. He was in his early 80s when we, f- we first met him not only did he play kamancha he played tar he played doll he sang and um he sang in in multiple languages in azeri uh, armenian georgian um and he knew how to play mugam armenian folk melodies uh you know georgian melodies or what he at least categorized as all these things but he was playing them all so you know that Again, how do you... People have categories, but they also, at the same time, simultaneously kind of uh, destroy them by p- mixing them all up together. Um, and he he also loved all sorts of music. He had, a, uh, in the 80s and late 70s, 80s, he had an ensemble called the Sayat Nova Ensemble in Tbilisi, and he was playing all this different music there he taught Azerbaijanis, Georgians, Armenians how to play these instruments. And his son uh, was in one of the top heavy metal bands of the of 1980s Georgia. And he um, often played Kamancha with this heavy metal band. <laughs> so there's some great wow. recordings where he's playing Kamancha with, you know, these people uh, playing this kind of like distorted, big drum kits, you know, all that stuff. And another funny thing about Sergo is once uh, we were looking through his, uh, listening to his cassette recordings, looking through his recordings together, and uh, we put one tape in the tape recorder and all of a sudden uh, Whitney Houston started singing. You know, it was a recording of, of Whitney Houston and he just kind of closed his eyes and put his hands to his chest and said, this is my favorite song of all time. So you have this master musician of the Caucasus and he loves Whitney Houston. And unfortunately, he died, He passed away um, a few years 
few years ago, but he was really, you know, this kind of uh, embodiment of everything we were interested in, you know, this wow. kind of total kind of, you know, demolishing all boundaries <laughs> in music and challenging everything we think about, uh, you know, music and regions and traditions and so and you know this is not a unique case there were all sorts of um you know stories like this should uh, should we play um, one of the recordings you have of sergo is there one that um yeah we can yeah play? so we have we have one which was on the album we released in 2013 and in that recording he he kind of transitions from playing uh, an Armenian uh, song and then he, he kind of uh, later I mean the track is edited but he just went on from that to start playing uh, Mugam and I think um, that might be a good example to Okay to so share. Let's, let's let people hear that and then we'll, we'll come back and keep talking <laughs>
why don't we talk about let's talk about this recent trip to Georgia? Yeah, yeah. Stefan, yeah. you were Yeah, like Stefan, you were I mean, I, the only reason I know about this is because I've been like hitting like on all of your Instagram videos. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but like, yeah. Um, yeah, I think what was it this last over the summer you spent how, a couple months in so, Georgia uh, during Ashura, right? Like so. so yes. Yeah, so, well, actually, I, as soon as I finished my, I submitted my PhD. I, I flew to Georgia um, to catch Muharram there because that obviously relates to my PhD research and my kind of bigger academic interest in sound and ritual and religion. If, if it gets even bigger than this, then yes, bigger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I spent uh, most of, um, the, well, the first nights of Muharram uh, going to the, the mosque in Tbilisi, which is really fascinating in itself. You know, it's a shared space between Sunni and Shia uh, communities. Um and there, I mean, Muharram there and the Majlis there are completely different to anything uh, you might be familiar with in Iran or uh, other places because it's it's really like a, a festival in many ways. There's people sharing sweets and talking and very excited. But there were some uh, very good reciters there. There was a few guests from Erdabil, which is one of the main centers of Azeri um, uh, recitation and poetry, devotional uh, poetry and, and reciters, which is what my research is about, or my PhD research was about. And then on Ashura, I went to a, a, a friend's village just outside of Tbilisi, uh, where they had um, a small procession and... and uh, uh, different forms of sinazeni and and noha recitation. Also by a wedding singer, the village wedding singer also is the the noha reciter, which is again challenging these boundaries or pushing these bound, uh, blurring these boundaries between secular and sacred music, which we seem to um, always uh, think in terms of. Uh, yeah, and then uh, apart from that, I also. Spent time catching up with musicians, with different musicians we've been working with for years and uh, starting some new projects. So there's kind of two um, small projects which we've just started, so I won't say too much about, but uh, one of them is um, I'm working with an Ashik called Ashik Nargila, who I've been, I don't know if you've listened to any of her stuff. I have online. been a long time fan, but also because I've known you for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Ashik Nargila is a, she is a Azari, but she's from Georgia, correct? She's from Georgia, yeah. She yeah. is a, I guess, what's the word in English? They say bard, right? Minstrel? Yeah, I don't really know. Bard or minstrel, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for our, um, I guess, our Iranian listeners, uh, you have the typical image of the guy with the big instrument strung over his shoulder and then the uh, the, the <laughs> lambskin hat, right? The lamb fur hat. Yeah. Um, Ashok Nargila does not wear a hat, but uh, no. it is the same sort of Azari kind of epic and folk music tradition, right? Yeah, yeah. So she was, uh, she was my well. First, I met her as I was uh, taking Saz lessons from her, 
And then later I started to organize tours for her in the UK and in Europe mostly. Um, and for a while we've been talking about working on a, pro uh, a performance of a traditional Dastan epic. So um, in the past, Ashiks would travel from, from town to town, village to village, and they would uh, stay maybe a few nights in one place and ha hold these majlis, these gatherings, where they would uh, recite epic stories. So maybe it would last four nights and the story would continue each night. Um, and slowly over time, that's kind of been reduced and reduced, I think partly to do with recording, um, also kind of changes in entertainment. People watch, started watching TV, listening to radio. Yeah, so the, the now people don't these, really have the attention span for one person, exactly, one instrument, yeah. and uh, you know, exactly. five hours. Exactly. So, um, I mean, all the old Ashiks always say, you know, before television, people would sit and listen, and this was the television and things like that. But um, in the Soviet era, they started making kind of TV show version so they would have a whole dastan a whole story in one hour um and nowadays people just play maybe three minutes of like one section one famous melody from a dastan and that's it so what we're trying to do uh is to to work out a, a, a kind of innovative way or a new way of of performing a dastan um so Nargila is working on that. She's she's studying the Dastans now and hopefully next year, sometime next year, we'll tour it. And um, I mean, not only is it interesting because people aren't doing this anymore, but also because she's one of the few female uh, Ashiks, definitely the only female Ashik in Georgia, in the Azari uh, community in Georgia, but also uh, it, it is a male-dominated art so yeah. this uh, is great yeah. fantastic and Stefan um, I'm just curious like what, what are some of these dastans like uh, what, what kind of what is the general format or um, structure what is how does it play into um, I mean you're talking about five hours of epic storytelling like yeah. what are some of these stories what are what do people what did people like about them yeah so I mean they have uh, lots of different qualities. A lot of them have kind of, uh, or are said to kind of have these kind of moral teachings and like ethical uh, uh, forms of like ethical, of transmission of ethics. Now, um, so some of them are about mythical figures such as Koroglu, um, you know, this, well, you yeah, know better yeah, than yeah, one of the most, <laughs> than the most famous ones. Exactly. But then there's also one uh, uh, love stories, kind of Romeo and Juliet style um, epics where a man cannot be with a woman or, uh, because of religion or because of uh, class. So uh, there's some famous stories of, of uh, you know, maybe a, a Muslim uh, man or boy, young man who cannot uh, be with his lover because she's Christian, um, and then has to do all sorts of. They have to do all sorts of things to, to deal with this problem. <laughs> or Ashik Garib, which is actually uh, the dastan we're working on, which is about a, a poor bard who um, comes from a low class family, and falls in love with the the daughter of a ruling, of of the ruling elite, and 
has to travel on a long journey to kind of get the status and the money he needs to to be with his loved one. Um, and he goes all over the cooks, uh, starting from Tbilisi to Tabriz and Kars, Erdabil. So it's it's interesting stories, hearing you summarize yeah. that one because if you watch the Parajano film version, you might yeah. not catch all that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Read the story and then watch the film, and then the film will make much more sense. Yeah. But, yeah. Wow. I need to go rewatch that. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that film is is great in many ways. Uh,
Gedim halasıdan oturdum Hükümler yerine yetirdim Gözlerine derman getirdim Ay ana mən qaribem Go, I would just say before we, we, we run low on time, should we talk about the, the second project briefly so that we can also play some music? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So the, the second project, um, which we've just started, is uh, we're focusing on the on Azeri electric guitar players. And so this might see, oh, sound a my bit strange. Favorite. Yeah, I don't know if you've come across it before, but it's a, a whole kind of subculture... Oh. Um, whole world of of guitar, which is kind of unknown to many people, and it's kind of, it's generally looked down upon by by other musicians in um, you know by mugam singers or uh, people in conservatories and stuff like that as as a maybe a, a less important thing. But it's fascinating, you know. You have. Uh, people who have studied tar, who have studied sars, and then transition to to the electric guitar, playing mugam, ashik melodies, all this stuff, and uh, everything in between and beyond that. So, um, And they all seem to use the same st- type of guitar, which was uh, built in Czechoslovakia and is now the ultimate guitar collector's item in, in Azerbaijan. Um, so what's it called you, again? The the Jolana, the Jolana, uh, yeah, Tornado. It's called. Oh I mean, God. that's the ultimate model. <laughs> and basically, how do we get one? Well, uh, the the main dealers are now in Russia, and they're kind of uh, cleaning up, finding models, cleaning them up, and selling them for for thousand dollars, maybe more. Um. And some people have tried to, in Azerbaijan, some instrument makers have tried to replicate the Jolana Tornado special model. But uh, now we've we've started speaking to these guitarists and they're all saying, you know, nothing can replace the original model. Um, The sound, I mean, there's several reasons why this guitar is so popular. One, because... uh, I mean, the main reason is that it has like a, a tremolo bar. Do you know what that is? Maybe. Yeah, that's what lets you yeah, basically bend bend. So the it notes, allows you yeah. to bend bend the notes, um, and this uh, this is really popular amongst the the Azeri musicians because um, they say that you can get all those uh, quarter tones, half tones. Um, everything in between that is found in in Mugam and, and traditional music of the region, and uh, then they also say that the sound is is kind of similar to the tar, which is maybe 
you know, not everyone would agree. Yeah, maybe a bit of a stretch there. <laughs> yeah. I think what's so but, interesting, because, you know, you showed me this this years ago, and I've been following mm. it for a long time, is when you watch the videos of, of the electric guitar, I mean, I guess they're concerts, they feel like parties, you know, the toy, yeah. They, yeah. they go on for hours. And yeah, you just, yeah. you know, is it improvisation just uh, in one muqam? Just is it, I mean, what is happening, you know, for like two hours of, of just like shredding? Yeah, so I'm most of this stuff, uh, I mean, the it's really uh, something that developed in wedding settings. So these were wedding musicians. And as you know, weddings uh, require hours and hours of music to keep people dancing and enjoying themselves. So... Um, and the thing, the thing with the this guitar is that if you go to different regions or different parts of Azerbaijan or the Caucasus, you find that their kind of what they're playing on guitar is is um, kind of a mirror of what is popular in that region or traditionally what was popular. So in the south or in uh, you know, there's lots of videos from Karabakh. Karabakh at the um, end of the, you know, 80s, before the war, and these people are playing Mugam, really just, you know, some of the stuff is very uh, close to the, to the kind of rules and, and uh, styles of, of Mugam music, of the Ta. Uh, but if you go to Borchala, like the Azeri uh, majority area in Georgia, close to the Armenian Azerbaijani border, everyone's playing Ashik melodies on that. So the kind the guitar is mirroring and um it's kind of following the what what's popular mm. in the region. So it's yeah. more so in some ways a vehicle for what people want to hear versus like actually introduce like demanding a certain yeah. style. Yeah, well it's it's a bit of both. I think it starts off as 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 this vehicle and then goes somewhere completely different and there's, uh, you know, once you add the synthesizers or the different combinations of accordion, zurna, uh, plus electric guitar, singing plus electric guitar, you get all these different combinations which re- result in in different, all sorts of uh, musical kind of experiments, basically. Is there a specific recording we should, we should be playing with this? So... Um, I've shared a, a recording from uh, one of the, the sessions we did uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in Georgia, in uh, just a village close to um, the Armenian border called Kachakan, uh, with some wedding musicians there. But the, I, I can also share um, older recordings with you or something more exciting. Uh, I thought the one that you sent was incredibly exciting. Yeah, I yeah. liked that one. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's kind of the, the standard, you know, what, what's going on these days, especially in the, in the village uh, wedding style. Um, but there's, I mean, YouTube is just, you know, full of, of videos from the mid-80s till today, you know, just hours and hours of electric guitar footage. Uh, from from the region. So, so we'll definitely but, play that to end us off. Um, but as we're coming to the end, Rustin, any last questions before we just... I think we just have to bring Stefan back because this was so fascinating definitely. and there's so many ways we could take this conversation. There's so much more to learn. But uh, any last question? 
I think I'm going to save my questions for next time. But um, I did want to ask Stefan if he had any recommendations for um, uh, artists or any books that our listeners can can listen to or to to read that would kind of help shed their um, shed light on some of these musical traditions that you're talking about. So, um, I mean, I. Yeah, I don't think that reading will really tell you much about <laughs> yeah, the music. Sure. You just have to go on YouTube and and let uh, YouTube take you across, you know, the mountains and villages of of the region. Because I mean, everyone is, you know, we're not doing something unique here. Like in this project, we're doing what everyone else is doing, which is recording stuff. You know, everyone's got their phones out and uh, sharing stuff online. So I mean, the internet is. Uh, you know youtube is the place to 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 get a feel of, of this music at least the start yeah? and um if you start i i can share stuff with you but um most of the commercial recordings out there are quite uh you know compartmentalized and um you know can recommend things but they won't they might not be as exciting as the journeys you can take yourself. On, We've uh, heard it YouTube. from the expert. Get lost in a YouTube hole. Exactly. And, you know, when you're crying and pouring yourself a glass of whatever at 2 a.m., hearing Remish just tore it up, tear it up in Ogdom exactly. or something, then you'll know you've done the yeah. right thing. Yeah. Nice. So I think, uh, I think we can wrap it up. Um, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. We really appreciate it. Looking thank forward to... To having you back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so um, much. And once again, for our listeners, um, feel free to find us on Twitter and Facebook. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want us to cover. Um, we really want to hear from you guys and see uh, what, we can, what we can talk about. So have a good one, guys. Till next Til time. Next time.